Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility. And through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. Today, I'm sweating it out with Mike Davis. Mike was a senior advisor in health and social services for the Victorian government, where through his time there, he realized the importance of measuring social impact. After his time at BitGov, Mike began his own business, Purposeful, a social impact consultancy helping many government, not-for-profit and business clients to measure and communicate their purpose and impact. Mike now runs his own podcast called Humans of Purpose, where he hosts conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Since launching his podcast, he has reached the global top 150 education podcast charts and has reached over 200,000 listens and nearly 200 episodes. In this podcast, we get into where purpose comes from, the traits of most humans of purpose, how to begin to follow your purpose, and of course, Mike's own health and wellness regime, which he has honed over years of learning and implementing the latest up-to-date science. Also, I was lucky enough to be hosted on his podcast in August this year. Go and check it out. It's called Humans of Purpose on iTunes or Spotify. And so I give you Mike Davis. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. It's a pleasure to have you here. Alex, um, it's, it's a thrill to be here with you after you came on Humans of Purpose the other day. And I'm sorry I wasn't prepared and in my sort of for this uh, conversation. <laughs> That's all right. I'm just going to have to turn, turn the temp up and sweat it out for both of us on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, to get things kicked off, mate, um, what is the sweatiest you've ever been? I thought long and hard about this, and um, every day I have an extremely long and sweaty sauna using one of your saunas. So I could have easily defaulted to that as my answer on any given weekday at about four thirty p.m. But I'll take you back about a decade ago, uh, a decade plus, when I went hiking um, in, in the Andes with uh, my good friend. Um, in the, so we, we, were, we were ascending the, the Inca Trail, and for me that was an extremely sweaty experience. It was very cold. Uh, there was not much oxygen in the air. And that um, Inca Trail, which lasts about five days, if anyone's done it, is gruelling. And um, you, you're wearing really thick uh, rainproof clothes, but you're sweating constantly. And what I remember about that trip was that you're sweating so much that you can eat and drink whatever you want. So you could just smash chocolate bars and Gatorades and really have a great time and you'll still lose five kilos. So that was the sweatiest I've ever been. <laughs> was that also the most uncomfortable you've ever been? Generally, yes, but losing the five kilos was very important at the time when I was a bit tubbier. So I, I was very happy with the outcome. And when you're sweating that much, as you'll know from your sauna experiences, you do tend to have great spiritual and philosophical conversations. So that was a highlight. Yeah, definitely. That was uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do uh, this podcast in in sauna because sometimes you just have these conversations and it's like, I wouldn't have had that conversation if we were just going for a walk, you know? 
And it's such a novel idea because I, I've heard something like that, um, uh, Gabby Reese doing something similar in her barrel sauna in the US. And I just thought, what a fantastic idea. And if you really want to get truth, if you want to connect over collective shared human truths, get people to sweat under really severe conditions, really close to each other. It's genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, I, uh, I just, well, I know from actual, uh, from, trying this myself though i because i used to think oh if i just you know sometimes i have these great conversations in sauna if i just like get some microphones in there that'd make for a great podcast but actually what it would make for is a lot of like saying something really profound and then like a pause and then the other person like (laughs) man it's like really hot in here yeah and then there'd be like 30 seconds of silence and then just like some heavy breathing and then someone else would say something else really profound so actually wouldn't make for the best conversation or or podcast i've only um i've only had the chance to have one sauna with another person before covid hit and it was the same bloke who i did the uh the inca trail with and i tried to sort of get him in that mode of maybe having some more of our deep and meaningful conversations he he just couldn't go with me lasted about 30 seconds and then we were back to wow it's way too hot in here yeah exactly (laughs) and like pulling out your phone or something and getting distracted exactly and and so were you doing the inca trail for any particular reason or it was just something you wanted to to do Oh, I just call it a mid to late twenties um, sort of bucket list kind of thing to do. So we did um, we did the Inca Trail, we did Bolivia, uh, we did Argentina, and that was a um, pretty terrific trip actually, just sort of to open the mindset a bit and really explore a different part of the world. Mm, and we've been feasted on by mosquitoes during that. Inca trail. Yeah, pr- pretty horribly. I didn't get altitude sickness. Was the main thing that I was really happy to avoid. And my, my good friend did, and that set him back a few days in the trip, and ended up um, horribly in oblivion hospital. But that's a tale he can tell on another podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, for sure, it was it was an incredible trip, and um, was lucky not to get sick. And if anything, got a bit fitter because there was um, so little oxygen in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And so. You know, we'll talk a little bit later about your kind of day-to-day rituals because you, you're doing some pretty cool stuff um, and looking after yourself is obviously uh, a very big focus of yours. Um, is doing things like Inca Trail something that you still kind of seek, like that sort of, you know, there's a mindset required for that sort of experience, right? Because you kind of got to push through some stuff. Yeah, challenge, yeah. Yeah, I think challenge is very important in travel and obviously uh, travel has changed a lot because of um, COVID, but we were lucky that one of the last trips I did um, before coming back was um, going to Chile with my wife and uh, we we managed to spend some time um, doing the Patagonia and Patagonia was just absolutely incredible and doing some of the trail hikes there and um, ascending some of the peaks and mountains and some of the challenges there was so hard that um, I couldn't do them because of my back. The the elevation was so steep but um, certainly just getting to places that are pristine in nature um, and very clean and untouched, uh, certainly a goal through travel. And um, I think over the past few years, I've certainly found myself wanting to connect with nature more and more. So any opportunity to find nature um, and be in it in an active way is very important for, for myself and my, my well-being. Yeah, I love that. I think it drives sanity too as well, right? Like, you know, I'm sitting in an infrared sauna and I've been indoors for the last, you know, three weeks really, barely been outside and especially through COVID and everything and you end up just being disconnected from earth, you know, and then you you feel this disconnection from yourself. So, I think it's so important to get out and do those sort of things. Um, How steep was it when you were in Chile that you couldn't continue? It must have been like vertical. (laughs) 
It was basically vertical, but uh, at the time I didn't know, but I had a prolapsed um, L5-S1 disc. So I've since had surgery to repair that, but I think that was part of my problem as well. So it, it might not have been as hard as I'm describing, but some of the harder treks in Patagonia, um, really you've got to be light on your feet, nimble, and um, you've got to have good good um, resilience, I'd say, and persistence, very important. Mm, yeah, absolutely, to kind of keep going when you're not feeling like you want to keep going. That's right. And I think that's very important in life as a general principle to sort of think about what do you feel is your natural limit and how can you extend way beyond that um, in everyday practices to make you understand that the limit isn't really ever the limit. It's just a sort of a figment of the imagination. Yeah, I um, I learned that really simply a couple of years ago, actually, when I started using a PT and it, I'd walk in and it'd have these workouts on the wall and I'm like, Max, there's no way in hell that I'm doing that. Like, I actually just, like, I can't do all that work. Like, <laughs> um, but sure enough, he, um, he made it happen. So Max pushed you through. Yeah, yeah, he did. Pu- he pushed me to my Max. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why it's called Max. That's actually just a you know, clever nickname. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, knowing, knowing those limits and pushing through them is, is kind of critical. And it seems to me, um, you know, r- reading and learning a bit about sort of where you've taken yourself over the last few years, now having a very successful podcast, Humans of Purpose, um, which I was lucky enough to be on the other day. Um, when you, when, I can't remember exactly who you're working for, but then you, you left and you started running um, Purposeful. The um, HHS, the, the Victorian government, yep. Yep, and you now run Humans of Purpose and um, the podcast and purpose and, and um, people's purpose seems to be uh, a focus of yours. Um, what, why do you think purpose is so important in people's lives? Yeah, so for purpose for me became very important for the simple reason that I felt that I'd lost it or didn't have it uh, many years ago when I was a bit disenchanted in the public service and trying to figure out what is my way as a sort of, you know, late 20s, uh, early 30s, trying to figure out where am I heading. I'd always worked in health and social policy and I'd always known that I want to work with disadvantaged people and help them, you know, sort of be their best in society through whatever means I could. But I felt as though I was very lost and... Um, my wife and I headed overseas to New York for, for a holiday and on that trip, I just got very um, interested in the idea of personal and professional purpose and what it, what it could mean for a person to sort of embrace those ideas. And so, during that trip, I thought, you know, there must be a lot of people who are pretty lost career-wise and sort of struggling to get that meaningfulness out of work and, and also really, you know, not, not connecting with a, with a true um, sustaining or, or um, uh, something to uplift them through, through the monotony of uh, the everyday. So um, I thought the best way to sort of contribute to a better world would be to connect with people who are really having a positive social impact uh, in society through their work. Um, and that, that became the podcast form that was Humans of Purpose in about 2017. And it's given me the chance to meet and, you know, release a podcast every week with just some incredible leaders um, in the social world here who just don't get the accolades or respect or attention they deserve. These are people who are um, slaving away at not-for-profits, public sector, journalism, media, um, doing everything they can to help those who have maybe not been dealt the best hand in life. And I, I just love the chance to connect with them and be uplifted and to share their purpose and their story around that. And with the idea that maybe other people could draw some lessons from that and maybe learn a bit about um, what it would be like or how to construct their own sort of um, 
purpose or parameters for a better life. So that was sort of more or less the podcast. At the same time, I started a consulting business called Purposeful and um, that that was a bit more around sort of business and not-for-profit goals and um, making sure that they had a social impact that was um, measurable um, and could be reported on quite well. And, you know, the idea being that um, companies and uh, not-for-profits who do good and then can measure and tell the story of that good in a really evidence-based way are going to do better because they can prove their impact. Mm, I really so, like, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. So, h- how does a company actually measure their social impact, or how does a person measure their so- social impact? So probably you, you look at a company level or a not-for-profit level and, you, you know, you look at the activities that the organization is doing and what, what are the set of activities that, that organization commits to that are sort of um, for a social purpose or social good. A lot of companies will have um, foundations or charity arms that they donate through. They might engage in impact investing, they might have certain environmental programs, uh, they might have different grassroots sports or recreational programs that they sponsor. So helping um, organisations like that to really just tell the story around how that um, how that all makes sense and how what they're doing contributes to impact. And you get to sort of some interesting places in that work where a lot of the times it's not doing much or it's not contributing to a great social impact and you're trying to help them instead tinker with the strategy around how to be more impactful. So that's what I really enjoyed, that sort of intersection between strategy and social impact. And is, is there actually some sort of metric that they can look at and say, okay, we're having this many impacts <laughs> or however you would describe it? Well, everyone, everyone does it a bit differently and I think it's a bit, um, it's a bit of that question, you know, is it an art or is it a science? So it's probably, um, you know, some of it, there are scientific ways that you can evaluate um, the, the economic or sort of value the contribution that social activities make um, but equally you can count the number of activities or number of times something is done the number of people something reaches um, it's all it's very context dependent is, is the sort of the, the long and short of it so that, that's why it is a sort of consultable field or something that's quite amenable to consulting because you've got to work through you know all of that um, that logic mapping stuff so what are the activities what are the outputs what are the outcomes what's the impact going to be and that was a lot of fun doing that for a while but after a couple of years um, you sort of, I sort of hit a point where I, I realised that it had failed to become what I wanted it to be um, and also the stresses of running that business whilst also working um, part-time for task force and not-for-profit um, just became a bit too much, um, you know, too difficult for what they were in terms of reward or future prospects for growth. So I closed that business actually a couple of years ago. Yeah, okay. And was that around when you started Humans of Purpose as well? Yeah, so Humans of Purpose and Purposeful started at the same time in about um, 2017 and then I closed Purposeful last year uh, in the middle of the year and that was a hard decision but it was a decision that helped me to really excel in my in my not-for-profit role at Task Force, which is now full-time and um, in the executive team there and really love that work that we do. And, um, you know, I think sometimes in life you've only got space for a certain number of things to do really well. A lot of people are trying to do six, seven, eight things, but, you know, doing them all in a pretty average piecemeal way. And it's a common mistake um, because I think society tells us that we should just be perfect people and be able to do everything. But my theory is really that um, we can only ever do a handful of things well. So we've got to be really careful. What are the things we think once we've got them in our, um, in our sort of, in our grips and, and decided that's in the select few things we'll do. Mm. Yeah, I um, 
I agree with that a lot, actually. And it's been a lesson for myself recently where I've even been looking at my goals that I have set. And I'm like, okay, I just need to like throw half of those goals aside and just, you know, put them on pause for a bit. Otherwise, it's there's just too many things going on, you know. Um, and, and and those are just goals within the one business of iHealth Saunas, you know, let alone other goals. So I think there's certainly something to be said there to, you know, focus on, you know, just a few things and do them well. Um, and also for yourself, you know, you might find that there's 20% of the goals that you've selected at um, iHealth or you your life that contribute to 80% of the impact and that's very common to sort of see that um, both in people's lives and in businesses is that it's really just that 20% that you, you really need to identify and then focus on and then you'll get a lot more kind of return on that investment. Mm, yeah, that's that's a good point. When you've been interviewing people on Humans of Purpose, like you said, they're, they're people who perhaps you know aren't in the limelight or they're, they're currently in the just in the grind, get, getting shit done. And, you know, in in society, we really only celebrate people once they've reached the end of their road and it misses the 99% of the time that they've absolutely hustled to get there. Um, what, what are the kind of key elements that you've noticed through these interviews that all these people, all of these humans with purpose actually hold and, and work on? Yeah, so... So I think people who come on Humans of Purpose are generally quite reflective and they've spent a lot of time thinking about how they can be better, which which I think is interesting. So they're not just self-obsessed. It's very you know different to be self-obsessed and to be properly self-reflective. These are self-reflective people. They're people who are committed to getting the best out of themselves, but they're usually doing it for a higher purpose. And I think it, what really shines through in a lot of the, the conversations is that they don't see themselves as being extrinsically motivated by things like money and status and um, some of the things that you'd normally hear about from successful people, they're more thinking about how can we help um, our social enterprise and not-for-profit or our, um, our organisation help as many people as possible um, as it was set up to do under its mission. So it's, it's, it's very clean. It's very altruistic. It, it, it sort of feels quite simple. I think one thing I, I quite like to hear in Humans of Purpose conversations is points of failure. I think that um, we, we still have a funny relationship with failure and, um, and things not working out. And we, we, we sort of need to, you know, peel that layer off a little bit and be a little bit more um, analytical about failure as because it's just part of everyday life for everyone uh, and everything. So I enjoy conversations where people have had sort of like a, a failure arc or a realisation that they might need to do something uh, radically different. And then, you know, the beauty of hindsight is that that might have worked out really well. Um, so there, there's sort of some things. Um, I think humans of purpose generally uh, are people who are interested in the world. So curiosity being sort of a, a key element, they're, they're often big readers, they're often people who have passions outside of their work and they're, they're people who are, are very loving and caring generally too. So obviously everyone's different but that might just give a sort of a, a good pattern or range of the types of people that we have on the show. Mm. And do they often, you know, some, some people would say that you're perhaps born with purpose or that it's, you know, uh, attached to your soul and you have your soul purpose or why you're on the planet. Do people, do these humans of purpose often, uh, and I talk about these people like this, I mean, they're over there, but you're a human of purpose and I, I am too. <laughs> um, do you we find that? Yeah, that's, that's right. Do you find that 
um, generally people have some sort of experience that helps them realize it or it's something that is just developed over time. Yeah, look, it's a split. Some people just really seem to come out of the womb and know exactly what they want to do and just a gung-ho at it their whole lives. And I mean, I always, I think it, it's it's a bit the grass is always greener. So if you're not one of those people, you always would just wish that you were one because life would be so much simpler. But they've got their challenges as well. But no, I think I think certainly people um, generally for a lot of their lives are just trying different things until Will they find something that really resonates with them and makes them feel better than the sum of the previous experiences? Um, and certainly, for me in my in my life and my career, um, you know, I've ended up in the not for profit sector where I'm really happy. I really love being here, but you know, I'm mid thirties now, and it's taken me some time to find that this is more or less the place that I want to be. Um, and I only got here by trying lots of different places, like government, uh, quasi government, you know, non government organisations, small businesses, entrepreneurship. It's sort of like you've just got to try lots of different things and figure out what is the best match for what makes me tick and sort of unlocks that little thing or or sometimes it's like even beyond purpose, what what um, job has a package or combination of the things that I like to do the most that make me happy in that moment um, is another way to think about it. Some people talk about meaningfulness of work or purpose in work, but sometimes it's really just pragmatically thinking about um, you know, what is the calling that, I, that I'm doing and when I'm in that calling or in, in that profession, um, does it make me feel better in many ways at a soul, heart and mind level than maybe the, the sum of previous experiences in different places? And what would you say to someone who's too scared to follow their purpose? Too scared to follow their purpose? Well, I mean... It, You've got to be true to yourself at the end of the day. And I think um, there's ways to nibble off different parts of what you think your purpose might be without diving headfirst in. So I think some people mistake the purpose thing for waking up one day and deciding, oh, my purpose is to be a belly dancer. So I'm just going to quit my job in, um, in government or, or, uh, or as an entrepreneur and go join the belly dancing academy. That, that's not real calling or purpose or a proper action plan. A proper action plan might be, you know, you take maybe a small class or, you know, a, a small introductory course to something on the side, you learn a bit about it, you spend some months thinking, you know, what are the potential um, pathways to this? How could I incorporate this into my life? Um, and e- even for me, I can say that, you know, one thing I'm very interested in at the moment is mindfulness meditation, but I'm not going to go into a cave in Tibet and just stay there for five years. That's not the plan. Uh, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes a day um, slowly integrating that into my life and seeing will I eventually go on a retreat which is sort of maybe a goal for the next six months your newfound purpose Mike (laughs) exactly who become a mindfulness teacher can you see me levitating off my seat (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) the floor just disappeared behind you all of a sudden that's right that's right I just went into this purple haze much like Sauna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very much in a purple haze right now. <laughs> Not the kind of purple haze that uh, Jimi Hendrix was singing about, though, I don't think. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying there. I, I've always been, and, and, and I'm still doing some of this myself, right? You know, um, as you know, I'm an advocate for fasting. and Every time I fast, like every single time I do an extended fast, afterwards, I'm so motivated to share fasting with the world and you know i will start a fasting business sometime in the next year or two uh, because it's just every time i do it i'm so drawn to to be to to share that with more and more people because i know how powerful it is um but 
I certainly didn't think that after doing just one fast. And oh, this feels great. Yeah, I'm going to devote my life to it. You know, it was something that kind of totally. And, and I think like what would make sense to me it would be like if you started to do more content on fasting, which you might do through the podcast or what other means. You might start a dedicated blog or podcast about it. Dip your toes in the water a bit. You know, just because you love something and you're passionate about it, I think it doesn't necessarily mean you have to um, dive head first into it or start a business. So I think, you know, we're really lucky that the age that we live in, that we've got things like podcasts, YouTube, blogs, um, you could just, you know, be part of someone else's blog or YouTube series. You could be part of someone else's blog or write for someone else, your guest blog. And I think there's, there's a lot of options to really, you know, express your passion without needing to be in on something. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Oftentimes, you know, I, I talk to people, you know, friends, family, people I know, and, um, you know, oftentimes purpose comes up and, you know, there always seems to be some hesitation there because uh, they feel like they have to dedicate their whole life to whatever it is that they think their purpose is, right? They're like, they feel like they have to quit their job today and, you know, start earning money from that job tomorrow. And that's all of a sudden what they do. And I think what you just said, there's really good suggestion, like just start small. You don't have to rearrange your life. Really small and just like, you know, incrementalism, I think is at the heart of everything. So what are the one percents that you can add into your day that might be part of that, that might make a small difference to your overall life and what you want to do. And um, just, constantly evaluate that on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. You know, has adding those things into your day um, led to overall improvement in you or the community? Um, And then just use that as your basis for going forward. Mm. And how did your life begin to change once you started following your purpose more? Yeah, so, I mean, engaging with the podcast has just been an incredible journey for me that enabled me to feel as though I am a creative person. So, I I used to think um, before I did the podcast that I wasn't particularly creative and I didn't have a huge amount to offer the world beyond just being like a, you know, hardworking bureaucrat. Podcasts can produce something of value that's artistic. Um, and doing that has just opened up a whole lot of doors. And it's also changed how I think about myself as a person and what gives me satisfaction and nourishment. So, you know, I've always been somebody who has um, enjoyed, um, you know, foreign film, um, you know, culture, food, travel, uh, being sort of a person of the world more or less. But I think um, engaging in something that's creative um, where you, you manifest something is really important in sort of what your life might look like. And um, doing that has sort of opened me up to doing more public writing, more thought leadership type of work, um, you know, not just having a voice on my own podcast, but writing for Pro Bono News, you know, Australia's top not-for-profit um, journal each month online um, and, and doing that in a way, just sort of creating your own artistic voice in a community um, helps you be more than just a person who's a worker in an everyday organisation. Um, so, so I felt very privileged to have had a voice and to connect with incredible people and also feel like now that I've created something um, as a creator, I could create any different number of business, created a podcast, um, you know, I, I get excited by the idea of making something and putting it into the world. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I might have missed the end of that there. But um, I, I think it sounds to me like what you're saying is 
you know, it's you, there isn't so much resistance in you doing things now because there's that enjoyment there and you've also got momentum going because of what you've created and you feel like you can create more and do more more of what you enjoy, right? That's right. And I think we're, we're all going to be conscious that we're writing our own stories as we go through life. So, you know, we, we're very much going to take our next step, most likely based on our previous steps, our history. So if you want to see yourself as somebody who is creative and able to put things into the world and as somebody who can manifest things and, um, you know, not just uh, go along with the way things are, then you need to start creating sooner or later um, with whatever level of confidence and just going on that um, journey of improvement because, you know, at the end of the day, um, creating art is one of the most beautiful things we can do, whether that's a, a, a business or it's a podcast or actually, um, you know, something artistic itself. It's it's incredibly important and that's really what will benefit community a lot more than else. Mm, yeah, I like that. Um, so you mentioned something in there. You were talking about um, some of your kind of passions outside of um all the purpose work that you do um, and you mentioned food and it just got me thinking of um, all the foodies out there and I know that you have a, a few health protocols and uh, like let's get into a bit of that and maybe we can lift off from what food it is that you are putting in your body. Yeah, sure. So um, to start with, uh, I'm not sure whether this is your protocol, but in terms of fasting, I do an intermittent fast where from about 8 p.m. Um, the the previous night till about um, lunchtime, 12 or you know 12:30, if I can make it that far the next day, um, I won't be eating. So I try and have you know a more limited um, feeding window. Um, in terms of what I eat. Um, since COVID, we've been cooking a lot more. So cook a lot of soups, um, a lot of uh, meat dishes and just, just simple foods that are, that are wholesome and um, not too carby or caloric. Um, and then, you know, usually have at least one of those uh, meals per day. I still like to reward myself a bit with uh, a bit of takeaway or Uber Eats on the healthier side of the spectrum. Just, you know, let's let, let's face it, we all, we all need to do something to make ourselves feel human during this uh, horrible lockdown period. So... Uh, for, yeah, so for me, it's um, I like to reward myself a few times a week with some um, Uber Eats. And um, generally, the, the main principle of eating for me was is just not to eat between meals. So just two meals a day, one at about 12.30, one at about 5.30. It's pretty early, I know, but it's just sort of like my wife's family was early eating family. And um, for me, it's just when I'm naturally hungry. So eat then and sort of leave a nice gap till bedtime. And I think that help, that's apparently quite good for the system to have that gap um, before, before you go to sleep at night too. Yeah, I mean, digestion takes up so much energy. It also takes energy away from our body to do what it needs to do to sleep, right? And going to bed, you know, within a couple of hours after eating isn't the most ideal thing if you're trying to improve your quality of sleep. And yeah, two meals a day. Love that. Uh, and nothing nothing in between. It's like just have a good, well-balanced meal so you're not hungry in between and sip on water and let your gastrointestinal system do what it needs to do. Because 100%. And I think it's also just like um, the one thing I learned uh, the hard way is just to make sure you, you can eat a bit more because you're having two meals a day. So when, when you are eating healthy and you are eating only two meals, don't be afraid to sort of like if you're having chicken balls or something for, for dinner to have a second serving of chicken balls because really like you, you need to stay full for longer and it's only protein so you can kind of stack up on a bit. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, I think especially with food, well, with health in general, you know, because there's so much information out there that 
when we start to learn, we turn off our intuition. We turn off what we kind of feel and know. You know, it's like, oh, no, I need to like stop eating now or not eat this or not do that because I heard this one scientific article that said that, you know, whatever this thing is, is good or bad or otherwise. And we're forgetting sometimes to just feel like, okay, actually, no, I'm still a bit hungry. Maybe I'll just eat a little bit more and that's okay, you know. Um, so, yeah, valid points there. And then what other things have you got going on in your kind of health and wellness routines? So I take um, health and well-being very seriously because I've actually had um, chronic depression since I was quite young. So it's very important for me to stay on top of my uh, wellness, make sure I'm sleeping well, making sure I'm exercising, making sure I'm eating well, and just making sure my habits are generally good. So that's the first thing to say is that um, probably I've, I've taken a bit more abnormally high care of myself and um, knowing what's good for you is really important um, for everyone, but particularly if you've face mental health challenges before it becomes very important. So try and exercise every day. Um, at the moment, since I've had the back surgery, it's, it's been a bit limited. So I get, it, get around for a little jog if I can, but it's sort of hard and I've got to kind of limit that. The sauna has been immensely helpful. I actually discovered saunas, uh, and this isn't a pure eye health, eye health shout out, but um, you know, a few, month, a few months ago, um, my gym near work had a sauna and I started to, after my runs, go and have a sauna. And I noticed for myself that my mood and my general feeling just really shifted um, after that sauna and I'd feel more relaxed, more calm, more kind of connected and clean. Mm. Um, so I decided earlier in the year to get a sauna and since having one um, just before COVID got it installed, have been having a sauna every single day um, after my run or my little walk. And that's been um, tremendous. Trying to get sleep is really important. So I'm usually in bed by about um, 8.30 at the latest. Um, I, I'm a really, you know, like to get into bed and have a long wind down period. So I stopped doing work and emails and everything at about um, five and just really concentrate on watching good quality TV, spending time with my partner, reading, um, seeing, you know, if I can see people, seeing people. Um, and just doing stuff that helps me ease into a, a nice sleep. And then um, sort of beyond that, I do sort of branch a bit into the, the, the longevity kind of space as well. So I'm a bit interested in the experimental ways that we can um, optimize um, our current health and also potentially extend it uh, longer into the future. Mm. Um, so I, I do play around with um, a few of the David Sinclair protocols around longevity, um, which sort of include um, resveratrol, um, NMN, and metformin, which you can sort of look up via uh, Lifespan, which is some of his um, blog. And I, I do that stuff just because I think I've started to care more and more about, um, you know, feeling as good as I can at the age that I am and also maintaining that kind of energy and longevity for as long as possible. So, um, yeah, so that would be sort of maybe the, the edgier stuff, but I think the stuff that um, is most important is the exercise, the sauna, uh, the sleep, and, oh, yeah, lastly is meditation. So recently started doing, you know, 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation a day just um, to sort of break up the end of the work day with the sort of, evening and for me i've had friends that have you know been telling me to do that for years and i've just sort of committed recently during COVID as a sort of silver lining practice <laughs> and uh and i've really um taken to that so well and love it so um, i make sure i do that every day and um leaves me calmer and happier and just um feeling a bit more peaceful 
What pushed you to start to do the 10-minute meditation a day? Was it purely just COVID and wanting to find some sort of peace within the chaos? Yeah, so I think COVID is a really important time to try and um, make whatever internal and life improvements you can in spite of the difficulties going on sort of outside us. And, you know, the Stoics um, actually say that there's, there's only two things you can really control. You can control what you think about and what you do. So we, we really should try and take those sort of recommendations to heart in how we think about thriving in difficult times. Um, and for me, that's meant sort of thinking, well, during this time, what can I achieve? Um, I've been able to achieve pretty good weight loss. I've uh, achieved recovery from my, uh, my back issues. I've been able to read some really high-quality books. I've been able to add in a meditation practice. So meditation was just one of those things that was sort of a low-hanging fruit that's there. And basically with the amount of apps and people talking about it constantly around you, um, you have to basically be living under a rock not to be pulled in by one of them at some point. <laughs> uh, so I just answered the call really and just downloaded one of the apps and gave it a go and, um, you know, just, just for no other reason than it's something that I could add into my life, you know, in an otherwise pretty boring time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What app do you use? So it's called Insight Meditation Timer. And it's got um, some great free courses on it. It was uh, recommended by my buddy who I did the Inca Trail with. And um, it's just basic mindfulness meditation. And, um, you know, there, there's so many apps out there now and um, different types of practices. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying a bit more of them. But just getting through this seven days and seeing what comes next is quite exciting and different. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's great. I haven't come across that one. Um, I'll have to check that out. Uh, when you had your back surgery, what what did you end up getting done there to sort that out? So I had a microdiscectomy, which is uh, where they basically cut a little um, an incision in, in your lower uh, disc and um, carve part of it out that was just hanging out. So it was a badly prolapsed disc, and um, I had had chronic pain for a few months, and um, I was still stupidly just thought it would go away, and was doing things like rock climbing and um, <laughs> bouldering and running and sort of all, all the stuff that I enjoy doing. And then one day I just couldn't really bend down and just realised that things. Were we were getting quite bad and it was just before we went into lockdown so I managed to get into the, the hospital and, and get it operated on and it, uh, it laid me out flat for a couple of uh, probably a week or two it was quite challenging um, but then yeah it sort of started to get better and um, I'm very lucky now that I can function pretty well and you know um, things will, things will be fine into the future. What, uh, what protocol did you, uh, or if any protocols, did you kind of utilize coming out of surgery on top of what you were advised? So coming out of surgery for this kind of condition, you're supposed to just walk a lot. So I walked heaps, which is really weird advice for a condition like this because you think it's like just lie down and do nothing. But no, actually, you're supposed to walk a lot. So I made sure I was hitting about fifteen or 20,000 steps a day. Um, you'll find this quite funny, but... Um, you know, when I went into hospital, I was probably a little bit overweight or that I was told that, you know, I was probably carrying a few extra kilos. And, but when they do the, um, cause, cause you go under general and they put a throat tube in an intubator, um, sometimes it carves the back of your throat and it makes a bit of a dent and cuts you. So I had a pretty severe cut from the, from the tube going in, which meant that I couldn't really eat much. So it was kind of, uh, it, it was terrible, but, but at the same time I did manage to drop a few kilos immediately just cause I could, was in so much pain eating. So I sort of recovering from the back and recovering from the throat at the same time. And, you know, no, no one asked me, how's your throat going? But plenty of people asked, how's the back? And, um, eventually, yeah, look, it was just fine. Um, 
to, you know, it, it really is in terms of like procedures or issues that you could have, it's, it's like a first world problem. Um, the problem with mine was, was that the disc wouldn't have gone back in naturally had I waited. It had to be cut because it was just, it was just all, it was a really bad prolapse. Mm, yeah. Okay. Mind you, probably not eating as much over that time probably helped with the recovery. <laughs> I tell you, it adds a whole new element to the idea of mindful eating. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and when did you start to get into um, David Sinclair? So I just I love keeping on top of what the latest uh, health trends that I that I, that I call pre evidence or pre science. So what are people uh, who are professors and leading edge kind of practitioners doing um, globally in their own protocols and in their experiments that are not quite science yet and don't have a, a sound evidence base but are showing really good promise? And um, I like to follow that kind of thing. So you know I'd heard um, David Sinclair on Joe Rogan and then started to hear him on a few other um, platforms and. You know, I think his his work is is pretty incredible, and I think um, you know some of the stuff he recommends is not um, rocket science. So diabetics um, take metformin, and plenty of people take metformin to control um, insulin blood sugar spikes, and that's pretty standard um, for a lot of people. And resveratrol is uh, found in very small trace amounts in red wine. That's why people say, you know, red wine is very good for you. But the truth is you have to drink thousands of bottles of red wine to get a, a, a sufficient daily dose of resveratrol to make much of a health difference. So it's really just capturing that, um, just giving you more of that in a capsule um, to give you that kind of um, health benefit. So, um, yeah, it's good. So people like David Sinclair, Rhonda Patrick's another one who's uh, doing pretty incredible work. And, you know, a lot of these people are leading the charge in terms of other simple things as well, like um, prevention um, and just general health, like around vitamin D and, and COVID, for example. So it's just good to sort of stay on top of um, what they're saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I love it. Just touching on that resveratrol thing. Um, classic human beings just like clutching onto something. It's just like, no, but like I've, I'm sure it's, it's good for me. It's got resveratrol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, my, my, my grandparents are from a different era. And when I was telling them that I was fasting for 30 days on water at the start of the year and explaining to them why I wanted to do that, um, ever since then, my nonno always asks me, he says like, so how old do you want to live to? Like what age do you want to, do you want to get to Alex? Do you want to live to 120? <laughs> He's always like, cause all of your friends will be dead. <laughs> Who are you going to talk to? Um, and I just, I find that kind of comical, you know, in a sense, but at the same time, you know, we look after our bodies now and it means it may not mean that we're going to live to 120, but it might mean that when we're in our eighties, we're still able to function physically. That's right. And now, and, yeah, I think you kind of get where I'm going with that. Right? No, you're 100% right. And I just wanted to add to that because a lot of these proponents of longevity talk about wanting to live to 150. I have no um, ambition to live to 150. I mean, I think I'd be happy to tap out at maybe the standard age of 85 or, you know, around then. But what I am trying to do is I want to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So uh, I'm, what I'm doing now is so that when I'm 60 or 65 or 70 or 75, that I still feel like I'm 50, hopefully. Or you know, just to try and tip the tip the scales a bit and try and um, optimize. Yeah, absolutely. It's increasing that that health span, right? Uh, that's right. Know. Health span is a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a big difference between health span and lifespan. Uh, you know, 
chatting with my dad. He's he, he's diagnosed with he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a couple of years ago, and which, by the way, if anyone wants motivation to look after themselves, spend a week with someone with Alzheimer's, and you'll be pretty motivated. I promise. And you know, it's just it's some of the things that he says. You, you know, like he's turning seventy, and um, in his mind, like you know, that's he hates even hearing. The, the number 70 because to him it's like life's over when you're at that age and it's just a real like every time I hear him sort of say make those comments I'm just like man like 70 is not the end of life <laughs> it no. doesn't need to be you know or I even think- even people in their 60s saying saying similar things like oh well I can't do that now like I'm 65 it's like but what do you mean like you you and I think I think it also changes with the generation. So I think like a 70 now is so different to 70 20 years ago or like it's just a total different 70. So my dad's 71. Um, he's just rocking out. He's just killing it. Um, you know, still working full time. He's busy as he's got research underway. He's very hard to get a hold of. He's doing just about everything. And, you know, he's just taken up Pilates and now does that three times a week and, um, you know, still skiing once a year where he can. And, um, you know, he he hasn't changed since he was in his 50s. So I just try and think if that's the benchmark, then, you know, what can, what can I do now to sort of be better than that, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Good on your dad for doing that. You know, it just goes to show that. Um, at that age, you, you can still achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. Maybe not like winning the Olympics in like hundred meter no, freestyle. I wouldn't like that. That is just be humiliating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Michael Phelps. I think he's into like biohacking. So maybe in like twenty years, he'll go back to the Olympics, <laughs> win some gold medals or something. That'd be cool. And so, um, jumping back to humans of purpose again, do you find that they oftentimes have? a focus on their health? Yes. Uh, I think there's a focus on health, but I think there's also just an inherent acknowledgement that they're extremely successful, extremely busy people, often with families too. So, you know, it's it's sort of the the people that I'm talking to a lot of the time might have a few kids, they might be CEOs, they might have this and that going on. So they're, they're doing what they can, but I think the the reason I like having conversations like this is because maybe we're a bit, not at that stage yet, we can be a bit more intentional about building those practices before we get to that stage where a lot of these people haven't probably had the time or the the interest to do the pre-work in in getting those kind of habits and routines bedded down before they have the families or the really significant career lives. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you are in your 20s or your early 30s, you know, you're at a really um, advantageous stage of life where you can build in great habits and routines into your life before things get too busy and out of control um, and just set yourself up for a really good quality of life, um, not just now but way into the future. So doing whatever you can, trying those new things, trying to always think about what are other people doing that you could learn from, uh, what are the experts doing that you could integrate, um, and keeping a really open mind as well and um, just practicing not being judgmental of uh, what other people are doing too. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that better. Early 20s, sort some of this stuff out now because otherwise it's going to get hard afterwards. Yeah, but you, you know, um, when I was speaking to you the other week on, um, on, my, on my podcast, Humans of Purpose, um, you know, I think you're tremendously advanced in what you're doing because I think about what I was doing when I was, um, you know, a bit younger, your age, and um, 
I just had no bloody idea. So we, we all come to it, I think, at different points. But the sooner you can start to get really healthy in your life and not just exercise but the eating, the you know, whether it's fasting, saunas, um, optimizing, finding how you can optimize however you can uh, as early as you can is, is sort of critical and um, just starting that journey. And you find that it is a really fun journey to be on. Um, once you've got, and I'm sure you enjoy it too, but you know, I think about my day every day and I get excited every day for the sauna and the run. I get excited for the, um, you know, for the meditation and sort of transitioning to a different stage of the day, um, going for a walk and taking my dog to the park. So it's all stuff that, you know, is really positive, but just understanding the benefit and the importance that it has to your lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even like, you don't have to make health your life, right? But it's just having that understanding that if you focus on your health enough to build in good routines that are going to see you throughout your life, it's just going to allow you to do more of what you want to do, whether that's being a, a car journalist or whether it's being a, a pilot or a writer or a social media influencer, whatever it is you do, right? If you're in a state of good health, you're going to be able to create more. You're not going to be hindered as much by a stuffed back or your joints that are failing on you in five or 10 years. You're going to have more energy, you know, and all of that stuff comes out of just looking after yourself in the first place. Yeah. And I think the only thing I'll add to that is to make sure you're on the lookout all the time to try new things and add new things to what you enjoy doing and your your kind of array of um, you know, uh, fun activities. Like for me this year, um, adding, adding in bouldering sort of to late last year, early this year has been just like a game changer. Like it's, if you had asked me a year ago, what would my favorite thing be to do? It would certainly not be bouldering. It'd probably just be, you know, sitting in the sun reading a book or something like that. But now, um, any opportunity I get, um, back pending, uh, I'll go bouldering in, uh, in a heartbeat. And that's sort of become one of my favorite, um, things to do, which is, actually very meditative to me and um, very um, grounding. Also, um, running in nature, um, trying to run down trails and that kind of stuff has become, you know, a real point of interest and meditation too. And they're they're all things that uh, were not in my life a year ago. Um, And just because, you know, being open to different experiences, they've all added so much to my life that I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Yeah, that's beautiful. Whereabouts in Melbourne do you uh, boulder? So there's the blockhouse in Port Melbourne, which is great. And Louise and I do it together, my wife. Um, but we we went um, originally to Northcote and um, we're in Abbotsford a bit. But we live in Elstonwick, so it wasn't that convenient. Um, and then went out to uh, blockhouse in Port Melbourne and really enjoyed that setup there. So fingers crossed they open up in a few weeks and allow some bookings again. Yeah, man, um, I, I'm hanging out for that. <laughs> we'll have to go. Do you go too? Sometime, actually, yeah, yeah. I, God, I can't even remember. What's the what's the main place just um just north of the city? The north side. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I can't even remember it now. Anyway, it'll come to me at some stage. Um, yeah, we we'll have to go sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. I used to do a fair bit of rock climbing and then um, started doing that, and it's kind of more accessible in a way. I don't know, and it's you can just kind of think and have a bit more fun. I found instead of. Yeah, so you you know when you're rock climbing, sometimes you climb five walls and then you're done. <laughs> yeah, and also like being roped into everything is also not that fun all the time. It's a bit restrictive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, no, I really enjoy bouldering, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for sharing a bit about what you're doing and um, 
also your own personal health and wellness practices. Um, really, really insightful stuff. If people want to find out more about what it is you do or find your podcast, where can they find you? So you can just uh, look for Humans of Purpose on any podcast player. Just search for it. Um, otherwise, humansofpurpose.com is the website. Uh, you can feel free to um, drop me a note or an email at mike at humansofpurpose.com. And um, yeah, happy listening. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Talk soon. Peace. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. 